It's another episode of Movies You Should Love with Lauren and Scott. Welcome to the podcast. He's Lauren. And he's Scott. Let's get into it. This is going to be part two of our holiday special series. Um, but before we get into my favorite uh, holiday movies, um, since our last podcast, Lauren, have you seen any good movies? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yes, Scott, I have since our, <laughs> since our last podcast. Uh, we laugh because we're recording these back to back. But we did we did hold a bunch of stuff over that we didn't talk about in the in the last one for this one. Since and for those of you interested in chronology, this was recorded directly after so- the Sophie's Choice episode, but will be released far before it. <laughs> huh. Yes, it's kind of timey wimey. You'll get it. Yes. <laughs> so, but no, I have I have seen a couple of really interesting things here in uh, the last five seconds or so. Um, <laughs> The first of which I've been uh, watching. This isn't technically a movie, um, which might fit in better with our next podcast. How dare but you. but I've been watching um, Homeland. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I just got an iPhone last night, and I'm still trying to figure out how to make it work. Magic, Go on. <laughs> um, which is a uh, TV show that is currently uh, playing has Claire Danes in it. And, um, and the girl from Firefly is in it, isn't she? <clears throat> she is, yes. <laughs> so and, everything I know extends from Firefly. It's like, yes. <laughs> and uh, and Damian Lewis, uh, who uh, Band of Brothers in Life. I was going to say, yeah, you you might know him from Band of Brothers in Life. Um, it's it's a really it's quite a good TV show. It's um, the basic premise is that um, Damian Lewis is a U.S. soldier who ends up being rescued after having been captured um, somewhere in the Middle East by a terrorist. He's been there for years and years and years, and in basically in prison, and they, and they bring him back. Um, he becomes basically this huge hero um, for having survived all, you know, all of this stuff. Um, Meanwhile, Claire Danes works for the CIA, and she has information that there has been a breach in security and that there is a a prisoner who has been returned to the U.S. who has been turned to the terrorist side. Interesting. She gets information that leads her to believe that, but nobody is willing to believe that it's this guy. Right. And so the whole series basically follows... Um, Damian Lewis's character coming back to America and trying to assimilate back into culture and kind of being this war hero Mm -hmm. while at the same time you have the CIA operative who is um, seriously trying to figure out if he is basically going to go try to, I don't know, kill the president or something. Um, So it's it's a pretty cool movie. It has uh, Mandy Patinkin in it. He's he's really good. uh, it's it's just it's a really really excellent uh, show. Very very well done. What ch- um, uh, what channel is that on? I believe it is on Showtime. Okay. Um, they do good work. Yes. So anyhow, it's uh, it's it's really 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 quite good. Um, and uh, I would highly recommend it if if you enjoy that sort of thing. It's definitely you know uh, definitely a premium channel type of thing. So it's got. A lot of the premium channel stuff. There's content. violence and yes, content. There's a general <laughs> content warning on it, um, you know. But uh, 
it's it's really uh, quite an excellent uh, uh, series. So it's it's still playing right now. I haven't obviously seen how this series ends yet, but it's it's been really good. Isn't it made by the people who made Twenty Four? I believe that there are some it's people kind of producers involved. or something. Yeah. Okay. Does um, it have that kind of feel? Yeah, uh, it, you know, it doesn't have the time constraints of, of say a Twenty Four or anything, yeah. but it definitely has some of that. Um, mystery and um, you know, I think it's probably a little bit more realistic than the way Twenty Four works. I think it, it's it's probably Plus of a, an action movie. Yeah, it, you know, a lot of it is pretty subtle and pretty um, cool. Yeah, but it's 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 really good. There's been a guy at work who's been trying to get me to watch it, and I want to see it. I just don't have access to it yet. Yeah, sure. So um, anyhow, it definitely by the time that comes out on DVD or whatever. I highly recommend it. Cool. Um, something else that I've seen here recently, uh, sticking with our Christmas motif, um, we recently rewatched uh, the 1947 Miracle on 34th Street, which barely, barely, barely did not make my my top six list. Uh, I've never seen it. Uh, <laughs> it's either one, the remake or the original. Well, don't bother with the remake, is what I would say. Okay. Um, but the the original is really a beautiful film. It's um, it has Maureen O'Hara in it, and uh, Natalie Wood plays the little girl. Oh, wow. So, you know, this is before she became... Natalie Wood. The, Natalie Wood. Um, but you can see, you know, how, how she grew into that, basically, from here. And it's just, it's a... Uh, Edmund Gwynn plays... Uh, Chris Kringle, who may possibly be insane, we uh, <laughs> we, we don't know. Are the actor uh, or the character? Uh, the character. Okay. <laughs> um, yes, and uh, you know the basic point is that uh, he's hired by Macy's uh, as the the replacement Santa for the year, um, and he institutes some sweeping changes that, for instance, he starts sending Macy's customers to competing stores. Um, to find things that Macy's doesn't have or that they don't have the right quality. And he, he completely revitalizes the store, makes them the the heart of shopping in the city, basically. Um, brings back Christmas to everything, but in the process makes a few enemies who, who basically suggest that he is clinically insane and for thinking that he is actually Santa. the real Santa. And so there's a trial, and it's, it's just a fantastic thing to see. Um, it's, it's beautiful because you have the belief of a nation and of a city tied into this, but then you also have Maureen O'Hara and um, Natalie Wood's character who don't believe in Santa Claus. I have to see this movie. And their belief is kind of... He's working specifically to, to convince them to believe, and it's it's just it's a beautiful thing. I mean, 1947, and it has some fantastic themes in it. Um, Marino Harris' character is divorced, which I'm pretty sure was a huge uh, deal back in in the in the 40s. I mean, that's not something that necessarily yeah. you wanted to portray as a positive sort of thing. But I mean, she's kind of. I wonder what the, the first main... one was. Yeah. Um, Ooh, it's, yeah. On, it's Netflix streaming. It is Netflix streaming. Yes, so. Highly recommend it as well. It's a, it's a great movie. Um, still stands up after all this time. Definitely captures a, a certain era, which is one of the charms about it, and what's one of the major issues I think with the new film um, that came out a few years ago, um, the remake. It just doesn't quite have the same charm. It's a little harder to believe in the new one just because of the way society has progressed and how. 
Um, and isn't the guy from Jurassic Park Santa? <laughs> yes, that does not help any in the new one as well. So yeah, Richard um, Attenborough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, welcome to Jurassic Macy's. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, definitely. Uh, 1947 Miracle on 34th Street. It's a great movie. There are um, five versions available on Netflix streaming. Nice. There's I know there was like version. There's like two or three different remakes. Stay away from the colorized version. <laughs> stay away from. I think there's like a 1950s TV mm-hmm. version. Stick with the original. It's it's beautiful. Um, so the other three movies, if you will, that I've seen. Yes, I only had time to get a drink. You have amazing <laughs> amounts of time. Um, I, I'm only going to touch on these really briefly because. At some point, Scott, we probably need to do our own podcast just on these three movies as like a. At some point, I need episode. to see these movies. <laughs> yes, um, but this is Christoph Krzyzewski's Blue, White, Red trilogy, um, which is a series of French films. Um, I, I guess you can argue they're French. They are in French. Um, Krzyzewski, of course, was not French. I believe he was Polish. But um, yeah, he was because he's the guy who did the Decalogue. He did the Decalogue, and. Um, these are some of my favorite, uh, if you want to classify them as such, maybe art house films or however you want to classify these. These are, to me, these are, are brilliant movies. I just sat down and rewatched them all here recently, and uh, my love for them has not diminished any. Um, there's a lot that can be said for them or about them. And I don't have time right now to get into them, <laughs> but just let it, just let it be said, uh, blue, white, red. I highly recommend them. They're, they're, wonderful wonderful movies this, it kind of broke my heart uh, a couple of days ago I work at a used uh, media store and somebody brought in the blu-ray criterion collection of the three mm. and I just happened not to be working that day and so one of my friends nagged it before I could oh man Nick well, Young your days are numbered <laughs> well if you can get it uh, you should we, we should watch them and then discuss them yes for everyone to hear on a podcast episode I would love to do that so how about you, Scott? What have you been watching? I saw the most remarkable, beautiful movie I've ever seen. Um, I, I was going to say, I was watching you kind of tweet about this as you were watching it. You kind of... Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> you kept just I, like, I, oh, gushing, kind of. Yeah. Um, it's uh, We're talking about Terrence Malick's Tree of Life. Um, I don't know where to begin on this movie. I honestly don't. It is a gorgeous movie. It is cinematic poetry more than cinematic prose that that makes any sense if that sounds highfalutin you might not like this movie you know (laughs) because it is a very spiritual movie it is a very deep you have to sit down and just watch this movie every once in a while i would pull away just to tweet about it and but it's like because there were times i actually had to pause the movie and think just a little bit about what I had just seen because it does not tell its story in a linear fashion. It kind of almost tells its story in by subject. Like, oh, now let me talk about my dad. But the narration isn't that on the nose. But then also you can see a, a sequence of scenes that are focusing on Brad Pitt's character, uh, the main character's father. And so you kind of realize this is his view of his father. Oh, and now here's his view of his mother. Um, the movie is a it's a it's a it's it's a meditation it's a prayer it's a movie about really exploring the relationship 
people have with nature and the relationship people have with God and the relationship people have with each other. And um, it begins, just to give you some idea of where this movie starts, it begins with a quote from the book of Job. Um, I, I meant to write it down, the exact verse, but it is basically at the end of the book of Job, Job basically lashes out at God. Um, and says, you know, where were you when all these bad things were happening to me? And God comes back and goes, well, where were you when I created the Leviathan? Where were you when I set up the world and put it into motion? And that's how the movie begins, is with that quote. Um, the, the one of God speaking back to Job. And then in the first five minutes, um, a woman, the main character's mother, uh, has a... Has a uh, Miscarriage. Sorry, the word escaped me for a second. She has a miscarriage, and that propels the movie forward, and you see how through her anguish and her pain, she goes back to God, and how her whole family goes back to God, and how God more or less kind of goes, you know, who are you to complain about this? You know, don't you think I have some... Don't you think there's a bigger plan here? Don't you think there's something bigger going on? But it never actually... Those words are never spoken, but within like within like five minutes of that prayer, you see all of creation leading up to man, and it's done in a very, um, very beautiful cinematic way and in a very poetic way that doesn't involve words. That just kind of goes, and here's the earth before man, and here are the dinosaurs, and here are. Um, it's it's a gorgeous movie, but it's it's a movie that I would recommend to anybody. But I would also understand if some people didn't like it because it is a very quiet movie there are times it i hate to say this but there are times it almost feels like a screensaver because it is just so gorgeous and all you're seeing is a beautiful beautiful shot of something beautiful imagery with gorgeous music but it all comes together in this very elaborate but very somehow elaborate but somehow simple sort of way um i say all this not being the biggest fan of terrence malick um I've liked some of his movies, some of his movies, like The Thin Red Line, it's just not for me. It's just like, oh, I want to like this movie, but it's just not there. Um, he also did The the New World, which I liked. Um, he also did Badlands, which was very, very good, uh, an early Martin Sheen film. Um, anyway, it's a gorgeous movie that I want to watch again. It was over, and it was like, a, it's a very emotional Mm -hmm. uh, kind of movie, but as soon as it was over, I wanted to watch it again because I feel like I will get something different out of it every single time I watch it because of the way it's filmed. The cinematographer um, is somebody who I I very much love, and I didn't realize it until I looked it up because I was like, who is this guy who's filming this? It's gorgeous. And he is the same cinematographer who did uh, Children of Men, and mm -hmm. he did um, the uh, movie, I can't pronounce its title, too. Uh, the Alfonso Curran movie that he did before Harry Potter, um, Ye Mambo Tambien. I'm sure I just made yes. large culture angry, um, but a uh, gorgeous cinematographer, and it's just it's a beautiful movie that I think you would definitely like, Lauren. Um, and it's it's definitely on my highly anticipated must see list, and I just haven't gotten to it. It yet. is. It was. It it shocked me how mm -hmm. moving it was very quickly. It, it it sounds very much like you kind of had a similar experience with that movie as I kind of had when I first sat down and watched Blue for the first time. I think we've kind of both have yeah. have hit uh, kind of these the certain 
carry yeah. a film where it's much more art than the film. It and is very much more art than anything else. And so it's like it's not a movie yeah. like, hey, let's get all our friends together and watch this together. I mean, unless all your friends are you know super artistic people who don't mind sitting mm-hmm. quietly in a mm-hmm. room and watching a very quiet film. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of dialogue, but there's a lot of moments in it that just feel so real. Like I would be mm-hmm. very, I'd love to sit down with Terrence Malick or read an article at least. Uh, him discussing the the storytelling process because I have to believe he pulled from his own life for the majority of it and his own thoughts on all of these facts because it's just not facts but all uh, these ideas because it comes from a very real place it doesn't feel manufactured it doesn't feel anything but one person kind of crying out in vain possibly about um, his life and his place in the world hmm um, well, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> it really is. Um, and on a completely other note, um, but in a no less fantastic way, um, I saw the Muppets, <laughs> the, <laughs> the new Muppets, and I actually posted my review of it on the website, uh, moviesyoushouldlove.com. Um, I'd recommend just go checking it out. Um, brief synopsis for the podcast listeners, I really enjoyed it, and I would highly recommend you take uh Go see it. Take the time to go see it. If you feel funny going into a children's movie, go kidnap a small child and take them to the theater uh, because they will enjoy the movie as well. It's a we we should mention that movies you should love does not condone uh, or, pod, or, or, or actual uh, kidnapping. Actual kidnapping. So please don't kidnap any children. <laughs> I mean, kidnapping. You know, if you have a friend who you know has a child <laughs> and you're like, hey, let me, you know, you guys go have a date night. Let me take your child to the theater. Um, if they're okay with that, do it. Um, <laughs> Because it is a it is the best kind of family film. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing objectionable in this movie. Um, I think they were very smart in the way they put it together. Um, basically, making a Jason Segel, Amy Adams movie that co-stars the Muppets is essentially mm-hmm. what you're getting. Um, and while the the Muppet purist in me kind of doesn't like that idea, um, I recognize that that's probably the smartest thing they could do to relaunch the Muppet franchise. And I really hope that we get more Muppet movies. I would go see a one Muppet movie a year if they would mm-hmm. make them that often. Um, if they, if this relaunches, cause the way they tell the story, it's basically the, the Muppet theaters being uh, shut down or it has been shut down. And now it's about to be bought by a, a uh, oil baron who discovers there's oil under the Muppet theater. <laughs> of course <laughs> there is. And so they have to raise $10 million in time to buy the theater back. Um, and, you know, of course, they're going to win in the end. Um, but they do it in a really great way that I really appreciate. Because when, I, when the movie first started, I was like, it feels kind of weird that the Muppets are wrapped up in money. And their whole point is to make money. I don't like this. But they end up winning in a way that actually doesn't sell them out. And mm. um, I really appreciated that. But that's I'm just saying all this to say this is a great opportunity for them to relaunch the Muppet show if they wanted to. Because in this movie, they set up the fact that they have the theater now and they have all of these people who want to put on shows again. Um, I would love for them to bring that back. Um, if yeah. it was on the Disney Channel or if they put it on ABC or something, I would uh, watch every episode twice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, on that, I would just say um, if you feel weird going into a kid's movie, uh, go ahead and go see it anyhow. Because really, the Muppets are timeless. They are not just for kids. They're for everyone. Yeah. Everyone should love the Muppets. They, they were always <laughs> intended as a as, as for everyone. And yeah, just, I mean, just go see it. Go do it. It's got a lot of great jokes, a lot of self-referential, breaking the fourth wall kind of jokes. Um, 
there's a new kind of Muppet character who I I don't remember, um, but his name is 80s Robot, and he's basically uh, Kermit's valet, and he just only calls him 80s Robot. It's like, hey, 80s Robot, and it's like this little robot that kind of goes around and offers people uh, new Coke or Tab. <laughs> and so it's, it's a great, funny little joke that, you know, um, the kids aren't going to enjoy or appreciate or understand, but that's the kind of joke they give you the adults. It's not like Shrek where they kind of go, we squeezed a sex joke into this. Tee hee hee. It's like, they kind of go, we understand that the people who originally watched us grew up in the eighties and nineties. And so we're going to give them some references to things that. They kind of matter to them. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. So it was Mm -hmm. great. It was great fun. Um, the songs are, the music is great. Um, I've been I've been rocking out to the soundtrack here at home. It's a lot of fun, and it's like the way it starts off. It's just it's so wonderful, like the way the music, the first couple songs take place, and it just go. And there's a really I don't want to spoil anything, but there's a great musical number about um, these two brothers are singing. One one is a Muppet, and one is a human being played by Jason Segel, and Jason Segel singing, "Am I a Muppet or a man?" And so is the Muppet, and so they go back and forth. If I'm a man, I'm a very I'm a Muppet of a man, but if I'm a Muppet, I'm a very manly Muppet. And there's some great visual jokes in that moment in the movie that is almost worth worth the price of admission alone. Um, yeah. So go see it. Go see it in the so, theater. Yeah. Give the Muppets money. Yes, lots of great <laughs> options for you to go see some fantastic you're, movies. If you're debating there. between uh, a vampire werewolf love triangle or the Muppets. Um, go see the Muppets. Go see the Muppets. <laughs> Kristen again, Stewart does not need your money. Yes, always go see the Muppets. Basically, yes, yes, I think yes, is yes. is what we can say. So, so any was there uh, any anything else? Any other movie news before we roll back into the uh, holiday episode? Uh, only uh, nothing breaking on the Ender's Game. Nothing uh, <laughs> in, in the last twenty minutes or so. Not saying anything. <laughs> we need more information, people. <laughs> so uh, why don't you just roll us into your top six, Scott? What have what are uh, Scott's top six Christmas movies of current time. Okay, as I said in the last podcast, I have to put a big asterisk in front of this list and say, if you ask me to make this list tomorrow, it might be slightly different. I am very bad at quantifying and qualifying uh, the things that I love. So, um, for now, number six is a movie that uh, my parents showed to me at a very young age, possibly too young of an age. Um, and we have watched every single Christmas probably for the past 20 years. Um, and of course, I'm talking about Molly North's favorite Christmas movie, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Um, again, this is not a movie I would say is a great movie. It's, you know, but it is endlessly quotable. It is a laugh a minute. Thing. It is Chevy Chase doing Chevy Chase. It's Randy Quaid shows up at one point as as uh, his cousin. And it's just, the whole movie is just hilarious. It's just a great send-up of holiday family horror, basically. Like, everything that could go wrong. Like, just, if you haven't seen this, go see it. It's just a great way to spend two hours with your family. Um, It is PG-13, I think. And I think it's, you know, it's a 1980s PG-13, which means they can get away with a little bit more than you might see today. Um, So there might be some slightly risque jokes in there that you don't completely appreciate. But that being said it's just a fun movie it starts with a really funny animated sequence that i always forget about (laughs) and every time it begins i'm like i love this part i forget about this every year (laughs) um 
and there's a there's a squirrel. Like they they cut down the they cut down a Christmas tree out in the Christmas wild because Clark Griswold is going to get a live Christmas tree, and they put the Christmas tree up, and it's bigger than they expected. So when they uncut it, like it blows out all the windows in the house, and then later in the movie, a squirrel leaps out and terrorizes the family. It's just really a great kind of Christmas. It's a great movie about family at Christmas time. It's silly. It's goofy. It's Really, for my money, it's kind of Chevy Chase at his best. It's all of these actors comedically at doing their at their finest. It's it's a great way to spend two hours. Yeah, I would agree. It's um, it's definitely just a fun a fun movie um, that really just kind of captures. You know, you can really relate to all of the all of the family stuff going on in it. You know, um, even though you might not ever have gone to those extremes with your family, you can totally relate and go, oh yeah, we've done lights before, and it went badly. (laughs) You know, we tried to get a Christmas tree, and it went badly. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it it, it definitely has a very 80s feel to it. I mean, you know, it's very kind of uh, the blue-collar worker is the hero, and the next-door neighbor these yuppies who have all this really nice stuff. They're kind of like the villains, but they're not like they're not real antagonists. They're just like a reoccurring joke. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a lot of great moments in it that I continue to quote and uh, mime to this day. You know, uh, the scene where uh, he pulls he he pulls a bo- the box of lights down. He pulls the lights out of the box, and it's just one giant ball. He goes, "Oh, here you go, Russ." He just hands it to his <laughs> son, like, "Here, you do this." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." It's 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 pretty good stuff. Yeah. So. Okay, uh, number five on uh my top six is home alone uh favorite one of my favorite uh children's movies if you want to call it that it's a family film more than a children's movie the thing about home alone is um i think most people when they think of home alone they think of the scream you know mccully culkin yeah slapping his uh slapping his face and uh screaming at the mirror and then they think of all of the slapstick Mm -hmm. all of the 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 traps he leaves for the the wet bandits at the end. The thing is, that's like the last maybe twenty minutes of the film. Mm-hmm. The hour and a half leading up to that is a really from it's a really great movie that John Hughes wrote it for um, those who might not know. It's one of those things that you it's easy to miss that John Hughes wrote that and he really created a movie that captures what it felt like to be a child. At least for me, like there's so many moments where you're frustrated with your family sometimes and then something happens where you get left home alone and I used to love being home alone you know Mm -hmm. just like and just the freedom he has and the things that he does when he first finds out that he's all by himself Um, but then he kind of steps up and kind of becomes a little bit of a young man where he goes oh it's not just fun and games I have responsibilities I need to go grocery shopping I need to go do this and the things that he's scared of and like John Candy's in this and uh not Marino O'Hara, Catherine O'Hara is in it, and they have wonderful scenes as, you know, once the mom realizes that she's left her son home alone, she's doing everything she can to get back as quickly as possible, and she's got some really wonderful road trip scenes with John Candy that are hilarious and kind of touching in the same way, and the movie, it's scored by John Williams, mm-hmm. who has his music in this is just, I, I put it in my Christmas mix. It's like, it is such wonderful, beautiful uh, a Christmas family feeling uh, music. Um, I really love this movie, and I actually, I ha- 
I love this movie, and I recently uh, was listening to a podcast called uh, Comedy Film Nerds, and one of the guys there kind of slammed the movie, saying it's just scene after scene of people getting whacked in the face with paint cans. Um, if and that sentence alone made me put it on my top six. Like, even if it's not necessarily always my favorite Christmas film, we do always watch it. And it's so much more than that slapstick. There's a real heart to this movie um, that I do think is missing from the 17 sequels that it has spawned. Um, but this movie, it's great. I mean, you know, kids are going to laugh at it, and I think they're going to get kind of wrapped up in everybody kind of, even if you don't have an older brother, mm-hmm. you, you've had an older sibling type character or person in your life who kind of bullied you a little bit. Um, you had that guy or that person in your life who you're a little bit scared of, and you had this movie. I don't know. I connected with this movie. When it came out, I was the same age as Macaulay Culkin, and so I really connected with this uh, right away. And We've watched it every Christmas since I was ten, so I love it. Yeah, it's uh, definitely it's definitely one of those that you know uh, I really enjoy every time it comes on. Even the sequel to it, Home Alone Two, is pretty mm-hmm. good. It's not. Who's making noses now? Apparently, that's my alarm that's telling me it's time to record a podcast. Oh, um, you another podcast, do you? Um, but no, it's you know it's definitely one of those movies that you know I enjoy both this and the sequel to it i mean not not the 300 sequels of it but definitely yeah, the, the second, second movie one, the second one's definitely not bad once once you lose kevin and they just start making random movies about kids protecting their homes against burglars yeah that's what i kind of thing yeah but definitely this first one especially kind of has has some magic to it has um uh it it, it has still one of it's, my it's, one of my favorite okay christmas songs in it that i don't know that i've heard anywhere else the the song that um they're playing um while they're driving home um well well uh, Catherine o'hara is trying to get home and stuff there's there's just some great oh yeah yeah like, it's like that, that polka kind of yes uh... yes yeah. there's just some great stuff in it um, so, some of my favorite lines are in this movie <laughs> sandy don't visit the funeral home little buddy <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great little film. So I yeah, and definitely well worth your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next movie, number four, um, is a movie that might not be considered a Christmas movie by some. Actually, the next two movies of mine might not be considered Christmas movies by some, um, but for me, it absolutely is. Um, and that is the Chronicles of Narnia: The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, one of my favorite absolute you know you ask me who my favorite writers are uh c.s lewis is going to be mentioned the first three at least um this particular book of his is probably the best out of the whole uh series of the narnia books and movies definitely um it is a completely self-contained story it is something you can just walk into and read or walk into and watch um it's wonderful and kelly and i have shared the unpopular opinion that this movie is actually better than the book as far as a storytell as, as far as from a storytelling perspective goes there are things that they are they flesh out in this movie that lewis like lewis opens the book with a paragraph that takes the kids from london to the to the home they're staying in in the countryside and he does it in one paragraph and the movie kind of makes it a whole 15 minutes of mm-hmm. Here are the kids. This is their personalities. This is what's going on in England at this time. For those of you unfamiliar with this story, basically you have uh, you have uh, two brothers, two sisters living in um, 
living in London at the time of World War II, and as London is being bombed, their parents move them out into the countryside to stay with. Um, mm-hmm. a, is he a relative or just a friend? I, of I think he's. I think he's randomly I, selected. I think he's just randomly selected. The. Uh, I mean, this was pretty common. Yeah. During the war, is is a lot of people who lived outside of London opened up their homes to to bring people in. Um, you know, and so I think that's part of like when you talk about C.S. Lewis not necessarily covering all of this in the book. It's because, it, when yeah, he wrote it, I he think people knew people this. Who had just experienced it. The first book came out in the early fifties or yeah. mid fifties, I believe. Um, but they go out to the countryside and they they're living in this huge mansion of a place run by this kind of crazy professor who they don't quite get along with, but he's he seems nice. But um, they. One night, one day, they uh, find a wardrobe, um, yeah, basically a closet, if you will, for us Americans, um, and they go inside of it, and it takes them to this magical world of Narnia, where they meet all sorts of talking animals, and in this world, it they've been experiencing winter for 500 years, the 500-year winter, they call it, and 500 years of winter and no Christmas, mm-hmm. and um, it is because of a curse or a spell that the white witch has put on the land and um there is this rumor that aslan the great lion is about to return to narnia and one of the first signs that he is returning is that christmas comes to narnia Mm -hmm. and uh you they meet santa claus father christmas shows up and gives them each a present and it's a wonderful movie and it's a great it's a great little family fantasy film um it's great uh, if you're if you're a Christian. It's a great way to talk about certain things uh, with your kids, kind of in a different way to look at the um, the sacrifice of uh, Jesus on the cross, because that definitely comes into play near the end of this particular story. Um, it's for me a it's just a feel good Christmas kind of fantasy family film and the only thing missing from this particular book for me is Reaper Cheap who comes in in the second and third books but that's really neither here nor there this is a, a really great film that I, would, I, I recommend every chance I get when someone is meant talking about their kids I recommend this movie instantly I'm like no get this movie I will buy this movie for you. Show it to your kids. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, uh, definitely a Christmas movie. I would, you know, I know people could argue it's not, but I mean, so much of it happens leading up to Christmas, and and meeting Father Christmas is really a major turning point in it for most everyone. I mean, it's it's a turning point for the the world, <laughs> let alone yeah. the main characters. And so, so, yeah, definitely a great Christmas movie. And um, yeah, I I really like this one too. Uh, next one on my list is actually, if you ask me my top 10 favorite films, this would actually be on that list as well. This is just absolutely one of my favorite films of all time. And, and I agree. It's a beautiful movie, just to get that in before we even get yeah, rolling on it. I was, and Kelly and I discovered it a little bit on accident. I remember seeing the trailer for this movie and going, I want to see that. And one Saturday night, my friends were like, we're going to go see uh, The Good Shepherd, that CIA movie with Matt Damon and I think Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to go see that. And Kelly and I were like, we're going to go see Children of Men. And we are so very thankful that we saw that. We, it's, and that's the movie we're talking about, Children of Men. Um, it's a Clive Owen movie. Uh, see, well, he stars in it, uh, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Um, Julianna Moore is also in this, and so is Michael Caine. Um, and in the, it's a it's a bit of a sci-fi film, though you're not going to see a lot. Of, you're not going to see any robots or laser guns or anything 
it's silly. Uh, basically, it's taking a glimpse at a possible future of our world in which people have stopped having babies. The youngest person at the beginning of the story is an 18-year-old, I believe. So for the past 20 years, nobody has been born. And so it's you take that and then you look at the kind of chaos that starts to envelop the world and how people start to live their lives because all of a sudden everybody has this notion that they are the last generation. And so how does that affect you? How would you live your life if you knew there was going to be no one after you? But then um, Clive Owen's character um, gets pulled into this kind of mystery or this situation in which they discover a young late girl who was pregnant and that thus begins their story and while this does not take place at Christmas time it's not snowing anywhere there's no um, there's no imagery that necessarily evokes even Christmas type ideas I cannot watch this movie and not think of the nativity story because it very quickly becomes this man who um, is not uh, <laughs> not the child's father um and who has had who has kind of a strained relationship with the mother it's about him escorting her to safety and trying to get her to a place and trying to hide the baby because if people found out that she was pregnant they might kill her or they might just abduct her and make her a symbol of this revolution and so he it's about him taking her to some trying to get her somewhere safe and how much he's willing to sacrifice and do to protect her and her baby and there is, um, it's just a beautiful film, and that's just, it's visually impressive, it's technically impressive, perfect script, um, wonderful acting. There's one scene specifically that gives me chills every single time, um, and it's a, it's right after or right before a very long, steady cam shot that uh, where there's all of this fighting that this there's war has erupted in the mm-hmm. city and people are shooting and dying and in the chaos of this she has her baby and they're trying to protect the baby and keep the baby hidden and then the baby starts to cry and people start hearing it and everybody just stops and it's all you can hear is this baby crying this wonderful joyous awful sound of a baby crying and everybody just stops because nobody has heard that sound in 20 years and they just kind of are able to walk past everybody the soldiers just stop and just stare in awe as they kind of walk by holding this baby um gorgeous movie that i can't wait to go watch again (laughs) yeah i was gonna say i'm I'm ready to turn off our recording equipment and watch it right now (laughs) yeah yeah I, i can't recommend it enough um rated our film has some uh kind of disturbing imagery at a couple of different mm-hmm. points kind of violent um very, fairly graphic birthing sequence as well to mm-hmm. prepare yourself for that but um good movie good 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 movie um is there anything else you'd like to add about children of men no you you did great <laughs> no, 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 moving on next two movies we actually discussed in our last podcast um number two for me is mother christmas carol and depending on the day this is my number one favorite holiday film um, I think Lauren nailed it in the last podcast. There's not a whole lot more to say. Um, it, this movie has the magic of the old um, Muppet movies, that, those, that feeling of nostalgia and comedy and love and wonderment that you have uh, as a child watching the old Muppet movies, or even when you can watch them now. They pull off certain shots that you don't know how they did it, and it's kind of wonderful. Um, yeah. 
Muppet Christmas Carol. It is my favorite version of the Christmas Carol story uh, thus far. I, and I'd be amazed if anybody could beat this. And But if they do, I will admit it. But so far, nothing even holds a, a candle to this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and number one, again, movie we discussed pretty much in length last episode um, was Love Actually. Um, written and directed by Richard Curtis, who's one of my uh, favorite writer-directors, an Englishman who he also wrote, you know, Bridget Jones' Diary, which I guess technically is kind of a Christmas, New Year's movie. Um, Also wrote uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, wrote one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes, Vincent and the Doctor. (laughs) Um, He is a great writer, in my opinion, who um, writes comedy but bases it in a very real and relatable way. It doesn't ever get as silly as, say, a, uh, a Christmas Vacation, where, you know, Christmas Vacation goes into a certain amount of fantasy. Like, haven't you ever been so frustrated you you, you wanted to do this to your boss? And what, what would that be like? And then Christmas Vacation goes there. Love actually doesn't. Um, they, I feel like the British and the Irish have this wonderful sensibility about them in which um, no... There is no beautiful day that will ever erase the memory of the rain, and there's but there's no rainy day that ever washes away the hope of a sunshiny day, um, and their comedy comes from that place, uh, from that same place, from that same acceptance of reality, but that same hope that you know what there is wonderful things, and if you look around, love actually is all around us. Um, and this movie definitely struck a chord with me. I think we went and saw it in the theater uh, when it first came out. And this was, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this came out the Christmas after September 11th. And the opening and closing sequences of this movie take place in an airport. And there was a real resonance to that. Um, Richard Curtis did a very brave thing in which he, um, he put love and wonderment back in the airport in a time when we were all kind of afraid or attaching these really negative emotions to airports um and he and if you watch the movie it looks really interesting the opening sequence because he went to a he went to heathrow i believe it was um and he filmed real people being reunited after um coming back home basically he just took a camera and he when he saw a couple or a family you know being reunited as one of the as one of the people came off the airplane and they, if they hugged if they looked like they were in love the way he believed that they were he would film them and if he filmed them he would then go up to them and go hey i'm filming a movie could you please sign this you're going to be in my opening credit sequence <laughs> <laughs> sign a release please <laughs> yeah exactly. but it's really wonderful because it begins with a lot of normal looking people you know not movie stars or actors behaving in a very real and relatable way and you see it and you go yeah that is what you know love is is that right there that moment where you recognize despite the frustration you might have that the person's been gone for so long or you're angry because of their job or whatever it melts away when there's love Mm -hmm. so i love love actually and um it stars every british actor you've ever seen that you know of it stars the entire harry potter cast except for (laughs) daniel radcliffe you know it's like you're, you know half the cast, and you recognize the other half. Yeah, so it's love. It, actually, it's a it's a beautiful movie. Uh, listen to the other podcast for my take on it. But yeah, it uh, it's great. Yeah, and I think that actually kind of wraps up our uh, holiday film talk. 
yeah. for the time being. Um, before we leave, um, since this uh, is kind of uh, my top six, I wanted to also say that uh, Lauren kind of mentioned it either, I think, at the beginning of this podcast, that I occasionally kind of live tweet movies that I'm watching. Um, and we have a Twitter account for uh, Movies You Should Love. But also, I have one. I am at Scottish Fog. It's all one word. Fog has two Gs. Um, follow me on Twitter because I will post things as I sit down to watch some of these movies and it's a kind of I try to have fun with it if it's a movie that I can tweet while I watch I you know try to have a little fun with the movies that I'm watching or you can kind of debate me as I watch other movies or whatever yeah and uh, as he said you can also follow movies you should love um, you can either get all of our links to either our Facebook or our Twitter uh, at our website at movies you should love dot com uh, and our Twitter handle is uh, movies you should. <laughs> so, yes. movies you should. Movies you should. Um, yeah, and join us next time as we wrap up our holiday extravaganza with some alternatives. If you're, if you are, if you find yourself in the middle of the holiday season, but you're not feeling, you know, particularly uh, holiday, um, or if you're kind of just looking maybe for a different take on the holidays, yeah, and maybe what the, you're used to. Looking, you, you know, you've seen all of these movies. You've seen a Christmas Story a thousand times. You've seen It's a Wonderful Life. Um, here's some other things that you can kind of seek out to kind of flesh out your holiday entertainment. You know, and we might also, while we're at it, touch on some of our favorite uh, TV holiday specials. Oh, just, uh, oh, just yeah. for the heck of it. Yes. So, all right, join us next time uh, at moviesyoushouldlove.com. You've been listening to the Movies You Should Love podcast. Join in the conversation at moviesyoushouldlove.com. 